Welcome to the Female Founder Squad podcast. Hey everyone, today we're really delighted to have with us Arazu Sarafshan. Wow, this lady has had some careers. She has worked in startups, she has founded startups, she sits on boards for startups, she's an advisor, she's a coach, she has a consultancy business. There is so much to learn about this lady, so we are delighted to have Arazu with us today. Welcome Arazu. As I just mentioned, you have had such an awesome career, really, really interesting. I want to go back to your childhood and growing up. I guess you must have become fairly resilient growing up during the Iran-Iraq war. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, thank you. And thanks for inviting me to the Female Founders Squad podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. As far as my childhood, I, there were there were a couple of different defining events that occurred while I was growing up. One was the change of regime and the revolution. So I was seven years old at that time, and our government changed from a monarchy to Islamic Republic. And that changed everything for pretty much everyone that lived in the country. My family also got very heavily impacted because... My family was involved in uh, the previous administration. My dad was a colonel, and I had a lot of family members who were not Muslim. And so we got impacted big time through that. But we survived. We, we weathered through it. And then two years later, or one year later, the Iran-Iraq war hits. And that lasted eight years. And it was it was strange is the the best way I can describe it you know when, when you don't have a point of reference yeah. you, you don't you just like take it as it comes and then you experience it so that's how I experienced the war we were we lived in the capital city Tehran so for the most part we were shielded from you know the the day-to-day battles however there was shortage of food there was shortage of you know goods and every day, every single day, you would hear of all of these folks, kids, kids of, of 10, 11, 13, that, mm-hmm. were, that had lost their lives, either because they had been drafted to war, and yes, kids at that, early, that early would be drafted, or they, they were casualties because they lived in the you know, city. And, and Tehran was was bombed several, numerous times. So I remember those those events very well as well, where you just like turn off the lights because the, the government actually would announce that the enemy um, planes are on their way. So you would just mm. turn off the lights and stay quiet. And That must have been terrifying. Strangely, it wasn't. Like I said, you don't have a point of reference. You just yeah. like, you just put your head and like, Okay. And I think a lot of it was because I was a child. Yeah. I think that, you know, for grown-ups, it was different. Yeah. For Especially me, parents. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. For me, it was like, okay, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to be quiet. The bomb is going to drop somewhere. Maybe it's going to drop here and then we'll figure it out. Yeah. There was one time that I was actually quite a bit older. I was maybe, I don't know, 15 and 16, actually. And it's, it was midnight. And I, we all woke up to the sound of the alarm. 
that was rung across the city. And so, yes, attention, attention, alert, alert, enemy fire, enemy, enemy is on its way, seek shelter. So we would hear all this and it wasn't the first time. So anyways, I stumbled, I, I woke up, I stumbled into my parents' bedroom and we're just like in the dark waiting for this thing to pass. And all of a sudden I hear this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's close, right? Close. And it was, it was loud. It was loud. And, and then a big drop. And I thought this just dropped in my backyard. Yeah. And then a second one again. Oh God. And, and the, when the second one, I heard the second one, I thought, this is it. This, yeah. this is the end. Yeah. And I wasn't scared. I was like, well, I guess this is how it is. So I guess the point, you, you brought up the point of resilience. Yeah. Resiliency. And, and that's what I got throughout of this and, yeah. and all of my friends. And mm-hmm. the interesting thing is that despite all of this, we still managed to live. We still managed to enjoy each other's company and laugh and, and, and have dinner. And Did it make you, so you get that feeling of being more appreciative of, the, of those things? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And so, you, and I mean, it's just, it's just crazy that, like you say, I think like you, we're both parents now, but as a parent of a child being in that situation, that's where the fear must have came so much more than, than being the child living through it. You know, it's... For it's, sure. Yeah. And the resilience side of that, is that something you still hold with you today? Is that something that if I guess that would always help you put things in your life into perspective is having that experience as a child and living through that? Yeah. Does that enable you to be able to, you know, take a step back? Very yeah. much so. I mean, we put I put things in perspective. It really allowed me to really put things in perspective and, and yeah. think, is does this is this worth me yeah. agonizing over? Yeah. Oh, and, it really isn't. and did it give you the ambition to, 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 cause you're based in the U S now, right? So how old were you when you came to the U S 18? Right. Did you go to college there? Was that a way of, of getting out to get into a safer environment or what, what was the, the ambition, the drive with that? It was so myself and a lot of my friends, a lot of Iranian women are very ambitious. And the reason why we're ambitious is because the system is all against us. Yeah. The system isn't helping us propel and advance. The system yeah. tells us by this, the, the law in Iran says a woman is worth half a man. Yeah. So, so we all had this thing in, in us to just yeah. beat the system and, 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 and show them that we can be far more than they possibly ever, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so, yes, I came to the U.S. because I I knew that in Iran, and my parents knew that in Iran, I wasn't going to have a future. My future was going to be get married, have babies, and bake cookies, you know. And so, yeah, I came to the U.S. for that. And so you definitely proved them wrong, right? Because <laughs> this career, down all your roles earlier, and I'm just really in awe of the stuff that you that you do, and and I can see the inspiration behind your 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 most recent launch, which we'll get to shortly. Because you must definitely need some help and support with with you know the reason you you, you launched Dispatch Mom, which we'll get to. So you've been involved with startups now yeah. for a long time. 
You mm-hmm. created your own consultancy back in 2014. You have been VP of product development, consumer experience, product management, innovation, and in, is it insights? Consumer insights, yes. Consumer insights. And so you've worked, you worked various startups then through the years. What was the inspiration to get into that kind of side of things rather than go down the corporate route? Why, why startups? I kind of just got thrown into the startup world. In Colorado, the startup uh, yeah. ecosystem is very strong and you kind of can't escape it. You, If you have a pulse, <laughs> you know, yeah. the startup world here. And I got, after my last, you know, gig at a, at a corporate and it was a billion dollar enterprise, I got invited to join a startup as a co-founder yeah. And that was a brand new experience for me. And I I went through it and I learned a lot. But the interesting thing is what I learned was what I realized that I had learned was after I'd left the startup, yes. not while yeah. I was going through it. Yeah. And it just it became kind of a mission for me to really put my effort and energy in the startup world and create something or help founders create something that doesn't exist and really drive positive change. In the corporate world, I still had wonderful opportunities. It's harder to drive positive change as a corporate executive, unless you're a CEO, which, by the way, that has always been a a goal for me. But uh, if you're a VP of, say, product management, it's harder to drive positive change at the level that you want, at least it was for me. But it's very different in the startup world. You can make an impact. You can drive, like the things that I do with my current startup or with my consultancy when I'm advising startup founders, I am making an impact in their lives. I'm making an impact in their venture. I'm helping them change lives. And that's very, very satisfying. Yeah, well, that's just what I was about to get on to next was you set up your EZE consultancy 2014. Tell us about the inspiration behind that then. Yeah, so at the time I'd left the corporate world and it was the thing to do. You you leave corporate, you have all this knowledge, you set up a consultancy and you start consulting. And so that's what I did. And I have consulted for bigger companies. I have consulted for, you know, enterprises as high as $300 million of, of revenue and some sub 100 million. But what I realized because of this natural tendency that I have discovered in me to really get attracted to startup founders and they get attracted to me, I started helping them launching their company. So there's a company here um, in Colorado, it's called She Factor. And She Factor is done by Heidi Ganahl, who was the former founder of Camp Bow Wow, which is a dog daycare franchise. And it was quite serendipitous that her and I met and we hit it off and I helped her launch She Factor and it's doing fantastically right now. There are a few other clients that I can name that Workability was another that I helped them build a community and really help through their, because Workability is a, is a co-working space brand. But what they did with that brand was they built community and they helped startup founders get access to tools and resources and knowledge 
So this is the stuff that really, really satisfies me, you know, and yeah. And, and you still, you still do that today. You coach startups. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Which is great. And you also provide a 30 minute free st- strategy session for those guys, right? I do. I do. I do. So anyone can have a 30 minute strategy with me. That's really great. I mean, that's really useful for, for startups, especially in the early stages of just being able to sit down and actually verbalize <laughs> your vision yes. is, is a huge step. Yes. So I noticed as well. So you've been an advisor, like you said, to She Factor. You're also sitting on the board of um, board of advisors for Second Act, Second Act Women, Women. Which, is, which looks great. I looked that up today. It's the first time I've, I've heard of it. Awesome? Yeah, it looks really great. Is that is female-led um, startups, is female-led businesses something you, that you're um, passionate about? Passionate. Beyond yeah. passionate. Beyond Why is passionate. that? Well, I mean, a part of it, a big part of it is the sense of equity, right? Yeah. The whole, let's, let's level the playing field here. Yeah. And, and as a female, I'm very attuned to the challenges that female founders have. And, and again, this is as a female that has grown up in the corporate world that has been surrounded in, in male dominated, you know, environments. Yeah. And so I, I bring that lens as well. And I can help when a female founder wants to go in front of an, an investor. I, I know what that's like. I've been there. I know the, the feeling. I know the atmosphere. I know the questions they're going to ask. I know exactly the type of questions that are what's the pitfalls that they're going to ask her. And if she doesn't understand it, she's, she's putting herself in a really bad corner. So let's not do that. So things that like, I just bring it that perspective that can be very, very helpful to female founders. Yeah. And I guess, you know, your experience as well, working in those startups, but back say 10 years ago, you must've been a rare commodity (laughs) being a woman as a, in a VP role in a startup. How was that? In 2012, I wasn't, I mean, I was in a smaller enterprise, but I wasn't in a startup. Um, that was okay. kind of the beginning of my my kind of, in, you know, initiation into the startup world, but I was still very much in the corporate. I didn't leave the corporate world completely until 2016. Right. Okay. So is those, were those the VP roles or were they the corporates? Yeah. The, the the VP roles were at the corporate. Yeah, uh, right. Level. Okay, got you. But so how do you how do you find startups now? Does there much difference between when you started back then to now? As insofar as the imbalance of just females in, you know, high roles. I mean, yes, there is. So let's talk about it. Let's look at it from different angles. From a female founder population perspective, you definitely see and hear a lot more female founders, female-led, female-founded startups. And we just had, you know, Bumble go public, right? Yeah, she did well. She did well. (laughs) So you hear a lot more now than you did, let's say, five or six years ago. Okay, so good, good. Associated with that, there's a lot more visibility. There's a lot more support in terms of organizations like Female Founder Squad, women who start up. It's just a lot more support out there. Okay, yeah. wonderful. Let's talk about the other side, right? Let's talk about funding. Yeah. Let's go there. <laughs> so you're just saying there's, been more, there's more visibility, there's more female founders, there's more support. Why is there not more investment? 
why are we still, I mean, you guys are less than the UK and the, the most recent crunch based report that came out. There's been another fall with investment in VCs, although there's an increase in black female founders receiving investment, which is great. But still, we don't shouldn't really be celebrating less than 2%, which is what it's down to again, which is 2017 figures. Why? Why? If there's more female led startups, if there's more support, more visibility, where, where, what, what, in your opinion, and you've been an investor at, at various points in your career, where do you, where's the blockage? What's, what's the yeah. issue here? We, there aren't enough VC partners yeah. who are females. As we speak, when you look at across the VC land, only 9% of VC partners are females. So 91% are, are men. I would never tell you, Zoe, that this is, you know, venture on behalf of men to, you know, block out females from that. That's not it. It is, we invest in what we know. Yeah. We invest. A lot of people tell you that it is, you know, it's a, it's a gambling game and da, 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 da. It might turn out that way, but no venture capitalist, no investor appro- approaches it as, oh, this, I'm going to put my, you know, I'm going to gamble on this. No, they are investing either their own money or someone else's money. And they want to minimize the risk as much as they possibly can. How do they minimize the risk? They invest in what they know and what the, what has worked for them. Okay, so 91% are white men. Yeah. So they invest in white men. <laughs> Yeah, we need to have more women investors. Now, let's talk about that. How do we have more women investors? Well, we need to have more women in higher roles in finance and corporate and, you know, influential roles in the society. We need to have much higher percentage of uh, women on corporate boards than we have today. We are are at 22%. That's not enough. And so, until we address the imbalance at the societal level about women having influential roles in policy and economic power, we will see this, this phenomenon that we're seeing in terms of women investors for a very long time. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I totally agree. And, and for me as well, what, what screams at me when I read these reports is that this process, the, the current VC process, which is the way that founders get visibility in front of VCs is usually through warm intros, through networks. So, and this is where the lads, the boys club comes in, the you know, all of that. And so what screams at me when I read these reports is that this was a process designed by men for men. It's not something that's working for women. The data clearly screams that because less than 2% are being, are, are being funded. And so why are we still using this process? Why have women, why have female founders not created their own process? Mm-hmm. This is something that I am really, really struggling with because, and it's something I'm doing a lot of research into because it's one of the things that I have on my roadmap. So let's just build our own our own thing. We'll create our own path. We'll create our own process built by us for us. There is now more VC firms that are that are purely female-led. Correct. Which is great. And there's far more funds for underrepresented founders, which is great. So why don't we design a process that works better for women? But you're right. It all starts from women having positions of power. 
and being having a seat at the table and being in these environments and how do we get them there how do we get these doors open and how do we also keep the door open for the females coming behind us that's important that's exactly it yeah yeah you know when you look at the data now i'm talking about corporate fortune 500 of the 500 ceos for fortune 500 companies 37 of them are women yeah over 450 of them are are men 37 are women seven percent and what gets to me is when you go in and you read the forbes article you know record female CEOs in, in Fortune 500. Yeah. What are I know, you right? celebrating about? And, and that's it. So we're, supposed to be, we're supposed to be celebrating these figures, you know? Like the figure that came out from that Crunchbase report was like, yay, black female founders of, are up by 30% funding. And I'm like, yeah, but it's still less than 2%. It's not even 2%. This is great, but it's nowhere near celebrating, right? Exactly right. It's crazy. Yeah. And so yeah. I think, I mean, people like you, Zoe, you know, we need to, we all need to yeah. keep saying this, that let's not be content with just a little crumb. Yeah. This is exactly. what we deserve. Yeah. yeah. We are far more than this. Yeah. Our no, work, you're so right. We are so much more than, you know, being marginalized and, and being expected to be content with crumbs. No, we are change makers. We are drivers. We m- move mountains. Yeah. And that is our. God given right. Yeah. Don't get me <laughs> Don't get me started. It's only it's only half past nine or twenty past nine with you. So yeah. I no, I hear you. I absolutely hear you. Okay, let's get back to you. Dispatch Mum. So listen, I completely understand why you created a launch dispatch mum. You must be so busy. But tell us what it is. Tell us what was the inspiration behind it. Tell us how you how you did it. Go for it. So, you know, the whole point about the imbalance, gender imbalance, you know, I was, I was navigating it fine before I had my boy. After I had my boy, now yeah. it was even harder, right? Harder on both sides. One is at home. You just, it just is. You, as a mom, you have the responsibility, you know, you have this little thing that you have to care for. You have to, you also manage the household. This has nothing to do with how good or bad or indifferent you're saying. I happen to have a wonderful husband actually, but, but there is this extra pressure that a mom faces and feels just because we do. So that's inside the house. Let's go outside, right? Outside, what you start to see is you start to not get invited to meetings. You start being asked questions about, well, can you do this? I mean, one of my good friends, actually, she was asking, applying for a promotion. And the CEO of the company, this is a big company, CEO of the company asked her, well, being a mother and all, do you think you can do this? (laughs) So those pressures are higher. And, And they really came to me and I felt it all around. And finally... I decided that there's got to be a way to give moms the support they need, yeah. that, that trusted right hand support when they need it, where they need it, to help them do what they need to do. In many cases, it's focused on their careers, but in many cases, go take a nap for God's sake or go yeah. ride a bike. This time, and, and again, back to COVID, let's talk about COVID. Yeah. On average now, women are putting in 20 more hours per week, per week 
on household activity. I believe that, yeah. So that's that was the inspiration behind Dispatch Mom is to be the one-stop shop, trusted resource for the busy parent. Yeah, I mean, it's it's brilliant. You, you really have to launch it in the UK as soon as possible, please. I mean, I've worked full-time since both of my children were six months old. And now as a single parent, I work full-time. I also have Female Founder Squad, which is my side hustle. So, you know, managing the house, keeping the kids fed and watered and clean and clothed and homeschooling as well on top of all this. It's a challenge. It, is, it really is a challenge. And I think it's something that, I think I agreed. I read a report the other day that women have to stop glamorizing this overworking. We have to, we, we want to be seen as being amazing at everything. And we are literally killing ourselves by try, by doing it. So tell us some of the uh, services that Dispatch Moms provides, Dispatch Mom provides. Yeah. We provide on demand childcare, babysitting, on demand cleaning meal prep and delivery. We also do home personal chefs. So someone can come into your house and cook all of your meals for the week and according to your needs and refrigerate it and put the heating instructions on so you don't have to cook. And by the way, they're healthy meals that you would actually be feeding your family. Pretty soon we're going to add errands to it and maybe pet care. So those are the services that right now we're offering. That's amazing. So, and how's it going? So that launched in September, right? September, 2020. How's it going? Going great. Yeah. Going great. I mean, yeah. we were growing organically. Actually, we, we just started putting money in Facebook campaigns and we're seeing a lot of downloads. Yeah. It's, it's going great. The month of February, we, at the gross level, we made as much money as we had done the past three months. Great. And so it's it definitely the market is is asking for it. And yeah. And it's a mobile app, right? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. it based, is the service all over the US or is it based in Denver at the moment? Are you going into other cities where where great question. Currently it's Colorado only. Yeah. And we plan on going to California and Washington next. Great. This year hopefully and then next year more places in the US. We do plan on launching in Canada, Vancouver, Canada. Uh, at some point and hopefully at some point nationally internationally yeah what has been what has been your biggest challenge to date with with founding a company any of the companies you founded getting the investors to take a risk yeah yeah i'm not surprised is dispatch mom invested or did you bootstrap that just out of so far bootstrap but i do plan on going in front of investors next month well done oh good well good luck with that you have to keep us posted okay favorite piece of tech Favorite software. piece of tech, software, 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 software. Apart from Dispatch Mom, of course, which is Oh, your... so mobile app. I would, ah, I would have to say it's Marco Polo. Marco yeah. Polo is, a, is an app for video chatting. So I love that. App. Oh yeah, cool. Okay. And how do you stay informed? I, I read a lot. I, I'm constantly, I'm a news junkie. I'm, I'm connected to news all the time. I'm very connected on LinkedIn, listen to podcasts, that kind of stuff. Favorite book of either this year or last year, since we're so early in the year? Last year, it's by Arlen Hamilton, who is a queer black venture capitalist. If you haven't read that book, you should read that book. She was homeless five years ago. Today, she's a celebrated venture capitalist. What's it called? It's called It's About Damn Time. 
Right. Yes. That's getting ordered. It's about down time. And then lastly, a favorite Twitter or Instagram account. Favorite Twitter account. I'm not. Actually, I will tell you my favorite Twitter account. Ireland is definitely one. Yeah. The other one is this gentleman by the name of Chris Ye. Ye uh, I can't pronounce his last name very well. Chris Y-E-H. And he's an investor and he was an, uh, a founder. He is of Asian descent, so he's diversity. Very pro-woman. Amazing right. guy. Chris Ye. Okay. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And Instagram, I don't have one. I mean, I don't have a favorite. This time. Yeah. Nice. Okay, listen, Arzu, thank you so much for joining me. I know it's early with you in the morning. You have to dash for another meeting. It's thank been you. really interesting speaking to you and just finding out all about your career. I wish you all the best with Dispatch Mom in the following months and hope your investors see the, the massive potential it has. Huge. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. It was great. great talking to you, Zoe. Hey everyone. So just before I released this podcast, I had noticed on social media that Arazu has now changed the name of her company. And so I reached out to Arazu to ask if she wanted to provide a, a statement at the end of the podcast. So she asked me to, to read this to you. Dispatch Mom rebranded and it is now called Call Emmy. The reason behind the rebranding was first, they wanted to be an, an inclusive brand and they'd heard from many dads that they'd felt alienated by the name, but also Dispatch Mom had never intended to be exclusionary, quite the opposite, in fact. And also the name Dispatch Mom perpetuates the very gender stereotype that they were aiming to eliminate. To say that one has to dispatch mom for things to get done around the house is the exact opposite of what Arazu wanted to convey. So for those reasons, Dispatch Mom has had a short life and the company is now called Call Emmy. That's it. So I hope you enjoyed that podcast. <music>